This podcast is supported by Evernorth Health Services. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to The Whole Story. I'm Anderson Cooper. Since the October 7th terror attack on Israel and the war that followed, there has been a spike in anti-Semitic attacks around the world, including in the United States. The FBI recently warned anti-Semitism is reaching historic levels. Its data shows Jewish Americans make up 2.4% of the public, but they're the targets of more than 60% of religious hate crimes recorded in this country. Since October, Jewish day schools have closed or had to hire extra security. Synagogues have gone into lockdown, and college campuses in particular have seen a surge in anti-Semitic incidents, including some assaults. Over the next hour, CNN's Dana Bash explores the roots of anti-Semitism in America and how they've spread. You'll also hear from some who personally experienced threats and attacks in the past month and have started hiding their Jewish identity in public out of fear for their safety. Sunday, October 29th in southern Russia. Barely three weeks after the October 7th attack on Israel by Hamas, deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. An angry mob stormed the tarmac and rushed a plane that had just arrived from Tel Aviv. They were hunting for Jews. They weren't saying, give us the Israelis, which would have been terrible anyway, but they were yelling, where are the Jews? Where are the Jews? That was plain, old, overt anti-Semitism. Hi, Deborah Lipstadt. Ambassador Deborah Lipstadt is the U.S. State Department's special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. She was sworn in in 2022 amid already rising hate around the world. Since the attack on Israel, how has your role become more vital? We began to see first a, a surge and then a spike then an explosion and now a tsunami of anti-Semitism worldwide. In Paris, in London, in Germany. In Australia it was gas the Jews, uh, get rid of the Jews, let's have a Jew-free zone. It's not about being pro-Hamas or, an or anti-Israel, it's about anti-Semitism. You know how when a, the yellow light is flashing, anti-Semitism is that, like that amber light. And what it's signaling is that anti-Semitism is coming and it's a threat to democracy. If anti-Semitism is a telltale sign mm -hmm. that a democracy is threatened, what does it say about the United States right now? It's disturbing. It's disturbing. This new wave of Jewish hatred is causing historic levels of anti-Semitic acts in America. We've just never seen a surge like this before. 
Literally, we've seen the highest numbers that ADL has ever tracked in terms of acts of harassment, vandalism, and violence. 2022 was the worst year ever. And the numbers, already so high, have exploded since October the 7th. With anti-Semitic incidents up nearly 400%, according to ADL data. While the Jewish community is struggling to make sense of that madness, that horror, it has been incredibly painful, compounding the grief and the sense of anxiety to see the world turn on the Jewish community, to see protesters in places here in the United States attacking Jewish people in broad daylight, vandalizing, quote, Zionist businesses. I think if we try to understand why is this happening in this moment, I think we have seen anti-Semitism normalized in recent years. As that seeps into the culture and sort of poisons the bloodstream, it then allows people to think, oh, it is okay to make it open season on Jews. This past month, we had 770 incident reports. There is no question that the incidents are going up. One of the things, you know, we've often... Mike Masters is the CEO of the Secure Community Network, a 24-7 command center where analysts monitor all the way down to the dark web for threats against Jews. This is our Jewish Security Operations Command Center. This is the national hub. I'm curious to see how much it's changed since the last time we were here. I first met him in 2022, reporting on an already disturbing rise in anti-Semitism in America. But October 7th took SCN's work to another level. It says, active now, 31. What does that mean? There are 31 risk events that are occurring in proximity to a Jewish facility right now across the country. And how much more of nonspecific threats are you seeing now versus October 7th? 149 since October 7th. On average, a month before that was closer to 50. Those are an individual that is threatening to kill Jews. We've had multiple threats of Jewish day schools around the country receiving phone calls of individuals saying, we're gonna come in and kill you, and then imitating the sounds of gunfire. Indiana, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and other states. Since October 7th. It opened the floodgates. It opened the floodgates. And floodwaters are breaching the walls of college campuses across the country. At Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a pro-Palestinian rally clashed with supporters of Israel. At George Washington University, glory to our martyrs among the messages projected on a library wall. Some of the worst, uh, the Stanford professor who literally herded Jewish students into a corner, humiliating them. The assault at UC Davis of a Jewish student putting up posters of hostages just to make sure that they are not forgotten and being physically assaulted in the process. A very similar instance at Columbia. In many cities and on many campuses, missing persons style posters being torn down. The posters of kidnapped Israelis have become a flashpoint, with confrontations going viral on social media. You're so proud of Show your face! You are not allowed to post them. They tear them down because they don't see them as people. They see them as something inferior. 
They see them as something subhuman. This is the destination where anti-Semitism takes you. It's children, it's innocent people. Okay, what about the children in Palestine? That is one of the things I find most disturbing. Why? These aren't soldiers who were taken in battle. These were civilians who were taken away. These were women who were raped and then taken. These are babies. But to tear down the pictures and to do it with such an aggressive attitude, it's a form of hate. It's a form of hate. It's a form of contempt for life. Anti-Semitism, Jewish hate, has been part of the fabric of societies for millennia. The difference between that and what we see in modern times is what? The difference in terms of anti-Semitism today is that it blends a lot of the traditional notions of uh, nefarious Jewish power being used to uh, take advantage of other peoples with a very specific uh, anti-Zionism and anti-Israel set of narratives. Jew hatred, anti-Semitism is deeply baked into not just Western society, but much of, much of the world, it's very hard to eradicate. The anti-Semitism has been called the longest or the oldest hatred, with good reason. So this sort of let the lid off for many anti-Semites for quite a few decades. It hasn't been taken seriously. Uh, people have said, well, it's not as serious as uh, racism, it's not as serious as homophobia, it's not as serious as misogyny, etc. Or what you'll often find is amongst university administrators, well, these Jewish kids, they come from well-heeled families. It's almost falling into the anti-Semitic trope. Jews are powerful, so why are they complaining? Jews are successful, so why are they complaining? So it's using the anti-Semitism against them. When you encounter an act of prejudice, call it out for what it is. When George Floyd was murdered, it would have been so inappropriate to say, we condemn the racism that was behind this and the homophobia and the anti-Semitism. But somehow when it comes to anti-Semitism, it couldn't be called out on its own. It couldn't stand on what its own. What does the whataboutism do? It dilutes it and it so to a certain degree rationalizes and or justifies. I want to be also be exactly clear. Criticism of Israeli policy is not anti-Semitism. But when you question the right of Jews to a national identity, when you question the existence of a Jewish state, you move beyond the political. Anti-Semitism in the U.S. is now exploding on both sides of the political spectrum. In recent history, the anti-Jewish hate that has exploded into to violence has come from the right, from right-wing extremists. What is happening on college campuses tends to come from the left. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that the culture on campus, when it comes to uh, anti-Jewish sentiment, is coming from uh, left-wing groups and alliances that are all built around this demonization of Israel, wherever Jewish students are just trying to go about living their lives on campus. So when you talk about demonization of Israel, um, a lot of progressives would say you can be anti-Israel and not anti-Semitic. 
That's not true anymore. We have seen the line between anti-Israel sentiment and anti-Semitism completely crumble. When students have been physically assaulted at University of Georgia, at UC Davis, at other campuses, no one's asking them about their views of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This line has completely broken down. As war rages on, there's little hope of domestic attacks letting up. The death of a Jewish man at dueling protests in Southern California is being investigated as a homicide. In the last week, we've seen a Jewish man assaulted and killed in Southern California. We saw a woman try to drive her car into what she thought was a synagogue outside of Chicago. These look like outliers until you pull back and you realize they're actually data points on a trend line of intensifying anti-Semitism and increasing probability of violence. Ahead. It really went from zero to 100. Clashes escalate on American campuses. All There Is with Anderson Cooper is supported by Evernorth Health Services. Grief is a human experience. Shouldn't the care we receive feel human too? That's why Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support anytime, in person or virtually, with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure that they get the help that they need. So no matter what stage of grief your employees may be in, there's always a person ready to listen. Stressful times can lead many to bottle up complex feelings, especially at work. 59% of those suffering say nothing. This can have unexpected and serious mental and physical health implications. And with Evernorth's data-driven risk monitoring tools, they can help spot challenges early and step in to guide individuals to care before they undergo any more suffering. Each person's grief is as unique as they are which is why Evernorth offers a wide range of personalized behavioral solutions to meet the needs of every member that they serve. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. Grief is a human experience, and the care we receive should be too. Evernorth Behavioral Health ensures all members have access to live, specialized support in person or virtually with a 100% follow-up commitment to make sure they get the help they need. There's always a person there guiding your employees using data-driven risk monitoring tools so bottled-up feelings don't turn into further suffering. With Evernorth's wide range of behavioral solutions, care can be personalized, simple, and more accessible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash grief support. New Orleans, Louisiana. Dueling pro-Palestinian and pro-Israeli rallies near Tulane University turned violent. They were chanting, Israel, Israel, you can't hide, we'll charge you with genocide, you know, like from the river to the sea. When you hear from the river to the sea, what does that mean to you? They want to wipe us out. They want us gone. They don't want a two-state solution. It is the call for the annihilation of Israel and, in a sense, the extermination of the Jewish people. Tulane students Dylan Mann and Panina Sasson said the protests on opposite sides of a street began peacefully. We felt each other's presence. There wasn't really a sense that we were attacking each other, you know, in terms like ideologically at that point. When did it turn? You know, they would call us genocide supporters. We would, you know, say, you're supporting genocide and some of their support for Hamas. 
you know, they'd call us colonizers, we'd call them terrorist supporters. Yes, there were things that we shouted back at them, but it really took a turn the second the boy pulled out that flag from the truck and took out a lighter. Violence erupted when a pro-Palestinian demonstrator in the back of a pickup truck started to light an Israeli flag on fire. A student on the Jewish side, he ran and he tried to get back the flag to save it from being burned. There were two kids in the back of the truck. One was holding the Israeli flag and one was holding a Palestinian flag on a very large pole. Once the Jewish student was able to retrieve the flag back, he started getting bashed over the head repeatedly with that pole. And when I saw that, that's um, when I ran in. I was trying to just get him out of the situation. Then Dylan was beaten and attacked by two older men he says were not college-aged. I was completely blindsided by a man with a megaphone who hit me very viciously over the nose, which broke my nose. I went into complete shock. I went deaf for a couple seconds. It, like I seemed like I went blind, maybe for a second. You're draped in an Israeli flag. You're holding a photo of a Jew being held hostage in Gaza, and you're getting beaten up. This wasn't a pro-Hamas rally, at least not in name. This was what was called a pro-Palestinian rally. And it was still violent, you know. The, you know, assaulting a Jewish person isn't going to free Palestine. And I think almost every single Jew would agree that it is an utter tragedy, the amount of civilians who have died in Gaza. And while we're thinking that, we're thinking a lot of these people in this crowd who are saying these sensible things are also calling for the destruction of Israel for referring to Zionism as genocide. And so when you're not able to separate the radical ideas from the sensible ones, you know, that's when it gets dangerous. In a statement, Tulane's president, Michael Fitz, said, we stand against all forms of violence and hate, including anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and racism. A line was crossed, and we will do everything in our power to ensure it is not crossed again. And we still have much work to do to heal and unite our community. Free, free Since October 7th, we have seen so much conflict bubbling up on college campuses across the country. For Jewish students in particular, they are going from trauma to trauma. And most of them felt incredible trauma watching so many innocent Israelis slaughtered on October 7th. And while they were mourning that, while they were feeling the threat and fear of what happened, uh, in many cases to people they knew or felt connected to, there were mobilizations of anti-Israel student groups and other groups coming to campus to turn what had been a mass murder into an opportunity to further demonize Israel. We've had 148 incidents reported to us on college campuses since October 7th. That is in, an increase of several hundred percent from the month prior. 
Tensions on Harvard's campus flared when a coalition of student groups signed a letter the very night Israeli authorities said civilians were raped, beheaded and burned alive, stating Israel was, quote, entirely responsible for the Hamas terror attack. On October 31st, a student at Cornell University was arrested for allegedly posting online he would, quote, bring an assault rifle to campus and shoot all you pig Jews. He also allegedly threatened to stab and slit the throat of any Jewish males he sees on campus, to rape and throw off a cliff any Jewish females, and to behead any Jewish babies. The student's mother released a statement saying he had mental health struggles. We get risk events from around the world. The posts were caught in SCN's command center. We have team members that have been on the Cornell campus working with the administration and law enforcement. Members of your organization are on the ground at Cornell teaching the students how to be more safe? Yes. The dean of the University of California Berkeley School of Law, who is Jewish, says he's never seen the level of anti-Semitism at universities, including among faculty, as rampant as it is now. I was stunned and saddened to see statements online celebrating the Hamas terrorist attack. I could read you a few examples. For instance, Students for Justice in Palestine called the terrorist attack, quote, a historic win for, quote, the Palestinian resistance. A Columbia professor called the Hamas massacre, quote, awesome, and, quote, a stunning victory. A Chicago art professor posted a note that said, quote, Israelis are pigs, savages, very, very bad people, irredeemable excrement, may they all rot in hell. If this is anything other than Jewish people being killed, would people say this? And if they did, wouldn't they be widely condemned? At George Washington University, the group Students for Justice in Palestine recently projected anti-Semitic tropes outside Gelman Library. Quote, free Palestine from the river to the sea, and quote, glory to our martyrs. Imagine a world in which, after the murder of George Floyd, someone was projecting messages like about protect the police and George Floyd was guilty. How offensive would that be? In this case, GW's president, Ellen Granberg, said, quote, These images included anti-Semitic phrases that have caused fear and anxiety for many members of our Jewish and broader GW community, and we wholly denounce this type of conduct. I went to GW. I'm a proud alum. I studied in that library for four years. I can't imagine what it feels like to know that these hateful images and phrases were projected on the outside of that building. To see many people sitting there um, under these projections was very uncomfortable um, and very disheartening to see. Gali is a senior at GW, Aviv, a freshman. His grandmother lives in Israel. Did she call you? Yeah. What'd she say? She just asked if like everything's okay, what's going on here? And she just kind of wanted me to explain to her like what I've been seeing on campus and if it's, it's really as bad as you see it is online. So this is your grandmother in Ashkelon, on the border with Gaza, worried about you on a college campus in America? Yeah. Your mom told you to take your mezuzah, the Jewish uh, symbol that hangs outside the door. Your mom told you to put it inside. Yeah. Did and you? Then I, yeah, I did. And then 
I also, she asked me to change my name on Uber and other apps that have like my name on it because my name is Israeli and by reading it, you would know I'm Jewish. So she wanted me to switch that as well, just to be safe. I really feel like we come to college to learn and to meet people who are so different from us and maybe have different political ideas or who have been raised in a different religion. And right now I feel like I can't have those challenging conversations because I feel as if when I share my opinions, I will be shut down. Unchecked anti-Semitism has led to high-profile donor backlash at Harvard, Columbia, the University of Pennsylvania, and others. The school, for whatever reason, can't feel like it can defend Israel and, defend, and, and attack evil and call out Hamas for what it is. The things that they did were evil, and they weren't willing to say it. Some of the nation's most prominent law firms warned elite colleges to crack down on anti-Semitism or face recruitment problems. The madness has to stop. And candidly, like in the case of Tulane and elsewhere, we need our university administrators to take control of the situation, to bring some order to this chaos in the way it's being directed against Jewish students. We reached out to Cornell, Columbia, Tulane, George Washington, and eight other universities who have experienced anti-Semitism on campus for an interview with the school's president. They all declined. Columbia did announce on Friday they suspended two pro-Palestinian student groups for repeated violation of university policies. It's very depressing. It's very depressing. Have we failed? What's the answer? From what I've seen, we certainly haven't succeeded in, in critical analytical thinking. Something has gone wrong worldwide in higher education, um, and it's got to be resolved. UC Berkeley's law school dean said his school has done a lot to address anti-Semitism. We require all of our law students to go through bias training, and that includes anti-Semitism as well as other forms of bigotry as well as I've certainly been willing to express myself in condemning anti-Semitism when I see it. And I think that's important as a dean, as a leader of an educational institution, to speak out. When we come back... Anti-Semitism of the hard left, I like the climate change. It starts down here, gets hotter and hotter, hotter. It creates the space in which, guess what can happen? Category 5 hurricanes. Are we at a Category 5 hurricane now you, on the you left? You better believe it. It seems like a long time ago. It was sort of a golden age for Jewish people. 2015 and Jonathan Greenblatt just began his tenure at the ADL. Things looked very different in 2015. Better. Much better. Hard to imagine given the explosion of Jew hate today. Anti-Semitic incidents were bouncing around at a very low number where they had been for years. What changed? In 2016, President Trump ran for office. He welcomed people from the fringes into the front of the line. Melania, so great, such a great supporter. The presidential campaign was at a fever pitch when journalist Julia Yaffe filed a report on Melania Trump. 
At the time, nobody really knew who she was. The GQ article posted on April 27, 2016. Within 24 hours, Melania Trump reacted on Facebook, accusing Yaffe of having an agenda. The problem is that when your husband runs for president, everything is fair game. So let's talk about what happened afterwards. Yaffe and I spoke in 2022 about what happened next. A neo-Nazi website posted this. Filthy Russian kike Julia Yaffe attacks Empress Melania. Then go ahead and send her, Yaffe, a tweet. I started getting all these calls and all of this ugly stuff on social media and in my email. The photoshops of my face in a gas chamber or my face in an Auschwitz mugshot. Who are these people who are doing this and how are they connected to Donald Trump? So many of these people were making overt connections between these anti-Semitic actions and speech and their support for Donald Trump. Some of your supporters have viciously attacked this woman, Julia Yaffe, with anti-Semitic attacks, death threats. Soon after, CNN anchor Wolf Blitzer interviewed the then-presumptive Republican nominee. I don't know anything about but, that. You but mean, your message you mean to fans the, of mine? Su su supposed fans of yours hey. posting these. And when pressed again, this. But your message to these fans is, I don't have a message to the fans. There is nothing more dishonest than the media. So his silence was taken how? As permission. Britton Heller is a professor who compiles data about online hate. You actually saw data that backed that up. Yes. We would see the number of attacking tweets on Jewish journalists spike. It was the largest spike that we saw in our data set people took that as a green line. Welcome back. An extraordinary and historic night. Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. After President Trump won, like the next day, the numbers went through the roof. People who were extremists, who were being quiet, saw an opening. Yes, we saw extremists feeling incredibly emboldened and energized. More than 80 Jewish community centers and schools across the country have received bomb threats in a wave of anti-Semitism. Damage at this historic Jewish cemetery in Missouri, a synagogue in Chicago, and swastikas painted on this car in Boca Raton, Florida last week. In 2016, there was a 34% spike in anti-Semitic events. In 2017, a 57% increase the largest since the ADL began tracking this. That summer, the Charlottesville rally. Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! We did see this very strong resurgence of white supremacy and neo-Nazi rhetoric. We would have bomb threats against Hillel's, where we would have leafleting across campus demonizing Jews for causing any problem in the world. Conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic hate were amplified in the spring of 2020 with the start of the COVID pandemic. What strikes me is that irrespective of where it's coming from, people rely on the same template of charges. Jews are controlling, Jews are conniving, Jews are clever, they're behind, they're manipulating. Flyers that had anti-Semitic messaging involving COVID-19. They have been found all over the country. And it makes no sense. It would be laughable if it weren't so dangerous. And it was not just the far-right extremists. So many hyper-progressive groups that have made it their mission to destroy the state of Israel 
and um, as part of that have brought so much hostility. But at the same time, the white supremacist brand of anti-Semitism just meets up with these left-wing elements of hyper-progressive anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism to squeeze Jewish people right in the middle. Anti-Semitism of the hard left, I like the climate change. It starts down here, gets hotter and hotter, hotter and some people deny it, others dismiss it, they think they can adapt. And when it gets to a point up here, it creates the space in which, guess what can happen? Category five hurricanes. Are we at a category five hurricane now you, on the you left? You better believe it. I feel like the odds of a mass casualty event are extremely high right now. Bringing together two extremes that would lay the foundation for where we are today. Jew hatred has been swept under the rug. The rug is bulging from the floor up. I mean, there's no way to ignore it right now. We are seeing the equivalent of Charlottesville every day in America, where people are chanting pro-Hamas slogans, Jews, we will replace you. That is what we are hearing. And we can no longer afford to allow willful ignorance or utter naivete to shape the world in which we're living. Next, the dangerous online world of Jew hate. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. My name is Frankie Bernstein. I consider myself like a Jewish uh, creator. The, the Jewish answer to the experiment was the Lox Bagel. Thanks for watching and follow along for more random Jewish facts. There's a lot of content creators who are Jewish, but unfortunately, if you post anything about being Jewish right now, you just kind of get swarmed in the comments. The anti-Semitic comment of the day award goes to this user for their creative little sticker. Didn't know you could get that emoji, very creative. Whether fortunately or unfortunately, because I've been doing this for a year now, I'm kind of numb to the hate. This is like a mean word that I get commented on a lot of my videos um, because I'm Jewish. In the fall of 2022, Frankie Bernstein was startled by a jump in online hate following Kanye West's now infamous anti-Semitic screeds. If Rom is sitting next to Obama or Jared sitting next to Trump, there's a Jewish person right there controlling the, the, the country. 
So the trick is you actually do it like this. Then 29-year-old Bernstein decided to transform his otherwise playful social media platforms into a safe space to embrace his Jewish identity and educate others. Yes, I'm Jewish, and this month is actually Jewish American Heritage Month. So today's my favorite Jewish holiday. It's Yom Kippur. Today we're Bernstein kept posting, and his following kept growing. Oh, all right, welcome. His new purpose was clear. To directly to this person say thank you, um, because I've been working my tukis off on this new nice Jewish um, community thing that I'm building. I literally had. I'm trying to fight anti-Semitism, and like everything about what I'm trying to do with Nice Jewish is about just like spreading love and positivity. This is CNN Breaking News. But then came October 7th. Breaking news out of Israel, Hamas militants pouring across the Gaza border in a deadly surprise attack. This is the worst. When October 7th happened, it just was just, um, just a wave of hate was what I experienced digitally online. Thousands of comments a day just coming at me. This person said six million Jewish people wasn't enough. Reopen the chambers. They're talking about the six million Jewish people that died in the Holocaust. Jewish people are terrified right now. I'm telling you because I'm Jewish and I'm scared. I've had like actual death threats. Like you think you think I'm happy about what's going on in, in the Gaza Strip right now? Like it's it's fing awful. Sorry, I know I'm not supposed to curse. But the fact from the other side of it, people were like celebrating what happened in Israel. And the several other joyful and powerful images which came from the glorious October 7th. Yes! I think, and that's the problem. And so, am I worried about the physical piece of it? Of course I am. There's obviously like a real war that's going on right now, but there's a digital war going on too. Hate is contagious. These online spaces can create troll armies I first spoke with Oren Siegel in 2022 at the ADL's Center for Extremism. Jew hate was already corroding the internet. The biggest difference, I think, post-October 7th in terms of the online content is just the volume. We saw on Telegram, which is loved by extremists across the ideological spectrum, the threats against Jews, Israelis, and Zionists increased by a thousand percent. A thousand percent? A thousand percent. But many of the platforms where a lot of people get their information and where their worldview is created, there's not a lot of transparency for researchers to be able to track these threats. With the information they could obtain, the ADL's Center for Tech and Society found that when comparing the week prior to October 7th and the week after the 7th, anti-Semitism on X, formerly Twitter, rose 919%. So this is literally before the blood had dried in Israel. I hope she gets raped into bearing Muslim children. In this case, they're referring to the women that were raped by Hamas. People who were already inclined to hate are clearly emboldened by what they saw. People who see a massacre, who then go online to try to understand it, and are hit over the head with message after message, promoting what they just saw, reinforces to them that that's okay. Some of those who are most engaged in spreading this anti-Semitism and hate are 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. 13 and 14-year-old kids? Some of them are. Another big problem, online misinformation, and it's spreading like wildfire. This video, said to be Hamas attacking Israel, in fact, it was from a video game. 
plus troves of posts falsely claiming Israel is lying about the Hamas attack and hired crisis actors to stage violence. Others falsely claiming the Palestinians called in the actors. But this post says, among other things, I'm going to shoot up a synagogue. Michael Masters says a dizzying mix of hate, fear and disinformation is overwhelming social platforms. We have seen coordinated efforts at misinformation and disinformation. From, whom? From organizations that are trying to sow discord within the community or create fear. Why are you taking it off? It's fake news. Here, fake news, someone really? is filmed tearing down a poster of an Israeli believed to be held hostage by Hamas. Has your concern about online radicalization gone up a lot since October 7th? We know that messages of hate carry through. And we see that from past historic incidents, whether it was the postings of the offender in the Pittsburgh massacre. 11 people dead, six others wounded, when a gunman opened fire on worshipers at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. The offender who shot up the synagogue in Poway, California. I opened fire at a synagogue. I think I killed some people. The 19-year-old who injured three and killed one Jewish congregant at the Chabad of Poway in April 2019 was fully radicalized online. We know the impact online hate has in the real world. And I should note, anti-Semitism that we see is often combined with racism and misogyny and anti-Arab and Muslim bigotry. And I want to be clear about one thing. You can care deeply about the lives of Palestinians without glorifying and justifying violence against innocent people. When we return... This is a matter of if you believe I should exist in this world or not. The night that we now call Kristallnacht. It's the night that the Nazis came into our house and proceeded to break everything we owned and then took my father and grandfather. 90-year-old Ruth Steinfeld is a Holocaust survivor. The screams and cries did not diminish when we arrived at our destination. That's when the men were separated from the women and that was the last time that I ever saw my father. She was only seven, and soon after, her mother made a heart-wrenching decision to let a French organization take her and her sister to safety. The last time I saw my mom is when she insisted that we get on that bus. And I didn't want to get on the bus. I wanted to stay with her. I have this picture of watching my mother waving goodbye to me from the street. You experience the kind of hate that no one should. Do you see some of that hate bubbling up here? Absolutely. It needs to be taken out of the quietness of the world and spoken so that children will able to understand very often I'll have children of survivors say, my parents are so reassured by what you do. It's one of the, I'm getting, I'm getting for a clem just saying that. You know, because I don't know if I'm up to that task. 
university presidents are being called out, asking if they are up to the task. Do you feel safe at Columbia University? I say no. Do you feel supported in this time of rising anti-Semitism on campuses from your school leadership? Unfortunately, no. I, I don't. This is where the university can come in, not in these passive statements, but about educating people. The university has an obligation under Title VI to keep their Jewish students safe. Your free speech ends when it prevents me from speaking. College presidents need to find their spine. Allowing kids to intimidate other kids, to harass other kids, to threaten other kids. I'm sorry, the university presidents get an F if they're not educating the kids on that. The Biden administration thinks a threat to funding could be persuasive. You have the legal responsibility under Title VI to ensure a safe learning environment. And ultimately, if we have to withhold dollars for a campus refusing to comply, we would. I certainly want to see campus do more to combat anti-Semitism. I want to see campus do more to combat Islamophobia. But a threat to cut off funds doesn't seem very constructive. It's just not clear what campuses will need to do in order to continue to receive money or to avoid the cutoff of funds. There's such a focus in American society right now of being very careful not to offend various cultures, various ethnicities. Um, DEI education is a very big thing in corporate America, in schooling. Is anti-Semitism even part of that? There's no question in my mind that if you're doing DEI education to try to help your employees or your students or some cohort understand diversity and equity and inclusion, and you are not including anti-Semitism, you are doing it wrong. You can't be inclusive if you exclude Jews. When you and I talked in 2022, my biggest takeaways from our conversation was education. To explain to people what anti-Semitism is. Does that work? Is that enough right now? It's not enough. Whether it's as a government official, whether it's as a teacher, whether it's as a religious leader, you gotta speak out. Does speaking out work? Staying silent doesn't work. I want my kids, all kids, to be safe and secure, but to be able to be proud of who they are, to show that, to demonstrate it. I refuse to take the mizzes off my door. I refuse to be okay with somebody not wearing a kippah. That's our obligation and responsibility to our future generations, as a Jewish community, as an American community. What do you think the solution is? At the end of the day, dialogue and conversation is the only way to get people to connect and share their thoughts and share their ideas. Many of my close friends asked me in a very kind way, asking, can you please explain to me why these projections were seen as anti-Semitic? Because I don't understand and I want to. There is this overarching feeling of nobody can engage in discourse. Nobody is able to share their opinions. 
And I want to have these conversations with people who are different from me. I want to be able to learn. I don't think this is a matter of politics. This is a matter of if you believe I should exist in this world or not. Do you feel safe now as a Jew? I don't let it consume my everyday life and I don't let it dictate what I do. The people who assaulted me, the people who will use violence, that's when they win. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.